Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So over the last couple of years, there have been a lot of stories about uh, ML models and computers doing better diagnosis than doctors. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering if we could talk about that. Like, does that mean that uh, computers are going to take over those jobs or uh, I mean, in the cases that they can do a better job or am I not seeing the whole picture? Yeah, it's a super interesting question because being able to beat a doctor on paper if you're an algorithm is, it turns out very different than having better outcomes in a clinical setting, like when there's an actual patient there sitting in front of you. So there's a couple pieces of research that I thought were really interesting in this vein that we're going to talk about. All right. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So there's two different papers that were inspiration for this episode today. So one is entitled Impact of a Deep Learning Assistant on the Histopathologic Classification of Liver Cancer. And then there's a second one that's from a, uh, a group that seems to be mostly centered at Stanford. And then the second one is from a group at Google, uh, Google Health primarily, a human-centered evaluation of a deep learning system deployed in clinics for the detection of diabetic retinopathy. So in both cases, you have basically computer vision algorithms that are trained to diagnose certain types of ailments, either diabetic retinopathy, which is a um, like a disease that you can get where your eyes start to degrade when you have diabetes. So it's a, a leading cause of blindness, actually, and being able to catch it early is helpful for being able to treat it and have better outcomes. So one of them is pictures of people's retinas, their eyes. And then the second one uh, is being able to diagnose uh, liver cancer from tissue samples that are taken from out of like a patient's tumor and then are looked at under a microscope by a pathologist. So this would be like a trained doctor who knows what uh, basically what kinds of cells are cancer cells. And then when they look at those cells under high magnification, they can say, yeah, it looks like you have liver cancer. So these are two uh, problems of diagnosis where you can imagine, and and indeed it's been done, that it's possible for you to train a computer vision algorithm to classify whether somebody has diabetic retinopathy or whether they have certain types of liver cancer. Right. So uh, obviously my initial prompt was a little bit silly. Computers are not going to be sitting in the doctor's chair. Uh but I guess I can't really see any places where a doctor having uh, an ML algorithm to assist them in analyzing images or, or whatnot. I, I can't really imagine that being a negative. Right, which is why this is so interesting. And I think especially the Google paper does a really great job of taking you inside the clinical setting so you can understand why having an algorithm, even if it's uh, something that looks like it's going to make things much better, could make them more complicated. So let's talk about how diabetic retinopathy was actually being handled in these clinics before. This is a group of clinics in Vietnam. And so the healthcare system there uh, doesn't have as many doctors as might be ideal for being able to process patients very quickly. 
So instead what happens is usually a patient will go in, they'll get a picture of their eye taken by a nurse or by some kind of assistant. And then when many patients have had those pictures taken, they get bundled up onto basically a like a disc and then mailed to an ophthalmologist, so an, an eye doctor, who will look at all of the pictures and then say for each one, it looks like it has di- they, this person has diabetic retinopathy or they don't. There's like three or four different classifications, but you get the idea. And then they send the results back to the clinic who then conveys them to the patient. So from the patient's perspective, it can be many weeks between the time they get their picture taken and when they actually know if they have diabetic retinopathy, which is obviously like potentially kind of stressful. And is also a time when you could have been treating the disease, but you haven't been because you didn't have the diagnosis yet. Right. Yeah. So the idea here is that the Google system is a, you know, there's a camera that's basically hooked up to a computer. The camera takes the picture, uploads, does a quality check on the picture to make sure that it's high quality enough for the algorithm to make an accurate diagnosis, uploads it to, uh, to the cloud, which is where the model actually lives. Uh, and then the model produces a prediction and then sends it back down to the computer. And that prediction is usually either this looks fine, uh, the patient should just go on about their day, or it'll be this is either questionable or it looks like this patient has diabetic retinopathy, refer them to an ophthalmologist for a confirmation. So it's not making the diagnosis um, itself, but instead is saying this is a patient that we should flag for further consultation. And then the idea is that then that patient would maybe see an ophthalmologist very quickly uh, and get their, their real diagnosis in a matter of hours or maybe days instead of having to wait weeks. Right. So what's the catch? It's so interesting. There's so many. <laughs> um, and it really makes you think about humans and like the human side of all of this. So one of them is uh, that the internet sometimes doesn't work. And so if the algorithm lives in the cloud (laughs) and your internet is slow, then you can get really backed up. And then the nurses who are in charge of taking these pictures, you know, of course they don't want to use the algorithm if they aren't sure how long it's going to take for the image to upload to the cloud and then get their prediction back. So there's a lot of you know, when push comes to shove, the the nurses who are in charge of actually deploying this system might not actually use it because there's there's that limitation. There's a second one that I thought was kind of interesting, which is that uh, nurses in when they're in charge of taking the pictures themselves and then uh, usually making a, doing a quick screen, maybe a quick initial screen. Uh, sometimes it can be hard to get high quality pictures, especially in these settings where, uh, you know, it's not always a fully darkened room. There might not always be like eye drops that help open up your, you know, dilate your pupil enough that they can get a good picture. So in those contexts where it's hard to get high quality pictures, a nurse might take a few different pictures that focus on different parts of the eye. And oh, then, interesting. yeah. And then he or she could look at like each of the pictures and kind of assemble a composite in their head of what's the overall overall picture of what's going on here. Pardon the slight pun. 
Uh, but the algorithm isn't designed to have three, you know, two or three different pictures that each get part of the part of the retina. Instead, they want one high quality picture. And so the nurses are like, you know, if I didn't get a good picture, then I have to just sit here and keep trying to snap pictures. And each one is like flashing your light, flashing lights into your eyes. And so they start to like degrade after a little while. So like, that's another thing. This this kind of seems uh, a lot of the like all of the things that you've said so far almost feel like uh, in practice they're a reliability issue. You know the internet goes out and now your thing doesn't work, right? Or maybe you can't get a perfect picture and so the thing doesn't work, and so uh, you're investing in this thing that maybe doesn't have uh, high enough reliability to make it worth it for you. Yeah, and so but here's one more, and then we can uh-huh. move on to the second case, which is um, very often the ophthalmologist, the expert that you would go see as an escalation, if there's either not a good enough picture to um, to say for sure, or if it looks like there might be DR. A lot of times, those ophthalmologists are in a different healthcare facility that's on the other side of town, so before the system might be you go in, you get your picture snapped couple months later, you get a phone call that says, set up another appointment and then, you know, go to this different place across town and talk to the, talk to the eye doctor there. You know, there might be ways that you can kind of plan that into your life in a way that's much more difficult. If instead now the system is, you know, you took off an hour from work to come get your eye picture snap, but now they're telling you, you have to like catch a taxi and go to this hospital that's an hour away, which is where, you know, the doctor who's participating in this program can be found. So in those cases, you know, the patient might be like, I I have to go back to work. Like, no, I can't, I can't, I can take off maybe some time later or something, but I, I don't want to go to the other side of town right now. So that's just like a, you know, a usability issue. Yeah. It feels like a psychological piece of it. Where like if if two months pass and then you get a phone call, maybe you're more likely to plan it into your life than if you're told, okay, now you have to be more inconvenienced the same day. Uh, even if you could reschedule it, you might not actually do so. Yeah. So this is, I think I found this paper extremely like readable. Uh, like it really just explains like how this works and how it you know, what they found to be some of the challenges in practice. So I think there's probably a few more examples in here that aren't coming to mind. So it's a, I think a highly recommended read to those of you who are interested in this sort of thing. And then I think you, speaking of kind of the psychological and like, how do people think about their healthcare differently when there's a machine in the loop that brings us to uh, the other paper, the one about diagnosing liver cancer And this one I think is really interesting. So overall, the message is that the AI in many cases does as well as or better than humans. And especially when, you know, the AI, when the machine learning algorithm is getting the predictions correct, it makes humans better than they would be otherwise. These are the the pathologists who would be diagnosing liver cancer. But the thing that I think is really interesting and that just gives me a lot of food for thought is that while the algorithm is usually pretty accurate, it doesn't get everything perfectly correct. And in cases where it gets the prediction wrong, those are also cases where the 
the doctors, the pathologists themselves, are much more likely to get the prediction wrong. Now, in some cases, this might be because they're just hard to diagnose incidents. But I think what's also going on here, too, is that if you're a pathologist who would say this person does not have cancer, but erroneously the algorithm tells you that they do, well, it's like, who are you going to believe? Like your own intuition or the algorithm? And it seems like in many cases, uh, this might be evidence that people are changing their answer to agree with the algorithm and therefore getting it wrong more often than perhaps they would otherwise. Wow. I guess, I guess in my mind, I assumed that the specialist and the algorithm were mutually independent. And when one might fail, the other one would catch, uh, would catch it. But this is really interesting. Well, and even if, even if they're independent, yeah, I mean, even if they're independent at at a certain point, like somebody has to make a call and it's like, do you pick the algorithm or the, yeah. Um, so, you know, somewhere, yeah, push comes to shove, but yeah, I think that's really interesting is it's like thinking through what are the cases in which an algorithm can get its predictions wrong? Cause that's virtually always a possibility and you know, what effect does that have on the humans that it is assisting in cases where the the algorithm is an assistant to a human. This is all really interesting and kind of gives me a lot to think about. Uh, I guess I just kind of assumed that if you have an algorithm, you can integrate it. You can have it be a safety net. You can have it be uh, uh, part of the funnel that funnels people to specialists. Uh, but clearly there's a lot more issues with integrating these things in real life. 